Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. How are you? Hey, folks. I'm Sam. I'm fine and dandy. Dandy like a lion. <laughs> I'm trying to achieve hunky dory. Hunky dory. <laughs> have, have we gone? Have we have we forgone the uh, the spiritual giant thing? Then <laughs> I think you're the one focused on the spiritual giant. Well, you know, spiritual gas giant. I just had to say it. I, you <laughs> you know? had to get it in there. I know it. <laughs> you know what I like to say when somebody says, "Don, how you doing?" Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot better than I think I am. Hmm. <laughs> I recently heard a whole lot of people going, I'm the best version of me I can be. Something like that. Well, yeah, well, okay. okay. That sounds a little conceited to me. Well, <laughs> there's that. Well, I hear some uh, giggling in the, in the background. It's a little twitcher of a laugh. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Who are you? I'm Candy. Hey, Candy. We're so glad you've joined us. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> Candy, thanks for being on The Boiled Owl. Tell us, when did you get sober? Uh, January 14th, 2012. Uh-huh. And what was going on in your head when you first came to Alcoholics Anonymous? What was your mental state? Um, it was not good, Um most feeling? people aren't, aren't yes. doing great. Feeling? I just pictured scrambled eggs. but <laughs> Absolutely. That's definitely in there along with succotash and all that good stuff. But um, feelings of hopelessness, despair, so much pain. Why? Guilt and shame of the things that I've done in the past while I was drinking. I could not stop drinking. Drinking and driving with my children to car, something I said that I would never, ever do. Leaving them in the backyard with pools. With Lots what? Of, with pools. Swimming pools. Swimming oh, pools. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to entertain themselves. All those yes. times when, you're, when you're, your standard, you lowered your standards to meet your drinking type yes, of thing. That was my priority was drinking. Not yeah. my children, not my husband, not my health. None of that, that stuff. It was mm-hmm. drinking. When can I get the next drink? Mm-hmm. That's all I thought about. Well, did you try to quit? I did. I went to a psychiatrist because my mother suggested that, you know, a psychiatrist would help me stop drinking. So I went to her for a few months and told her the itsy bits parts, not being totally honest. And she came close to having to take my children. And she told me and I oh, never wow. went back. Mm. Wow. It scared me. Never went back. I, I tried going to a psychiatrist and then, you know, I had a lot of fun talking with him and stuff. And then I'd go home and get drunk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. There was no recovery going to happen with me and a psychiatrist. Nope. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I went to a, it wasn't a psychiatrist. It was a therapist. I actually got honest with that guy. At one point I was describing what was going on with me, how I was feeling. He said, well, at some point, we might want to discuss getting you on an antidepressant. And I was going, well, 
why don't you just give me cocaine? I like cocaine. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's honesty. Yeah. I was like, you know, if I want to take drugs, I got the answer. That's what I'm trying to get off of. That was what my feeling was at the time. Though I don't have anything against antidepressants or, or anything like that now. But at the time, my concern was I couldn't. I was trying to figure out why I drank so much, if I could figure out what was wrong, because I had a feeling that there was something inside of me I was drinking at, and if I could figure out exactly what that was, then I could just drink normally. Like a gentleman, every night. (laughs) If I wasn't an alcoholic, (laughs) I'd get drunk every night. Uh, It didn't work out, though. I mean, I did, and, and going to a therapist really was good for me because I learned a lot about that and what was going on inside of me, but it never touched the drinking. I never really remember what me and the, I mean, we talked about drinking and what was going on in my home. The only thing that I remember her saying to me at the end, the very last day of my drinking, only by the grace of God that I remember that was the name of a treatment center, a local treatment center. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things that I experienced with that, too, was that the knowledge didn't help. I don't remember a hell of a lot, but I remember talking with the human resources director at my employer at the time after I got sober. I mean, she totally was aware of my problem. Trust me. And, you know, I'm sober a year or two later, and she was like, well, you've got all this knowledge. You've got all this information. And it's like, yeah, knowledge doesn't fix this. Working with a psychiatrist, knowledge did not fix it. It sure didn't. I continued drinking. And so then what happened? Well, that brought me to uh, the same thing, continued on, drinking and driving with the kids in the car. You know, I would be so physically sick, having the shakes, throwing up. How how old were your kids? They were really young, um, seven and younger. Yeah, you know, it brought me to a closet with a gun in my hand, asking God. My prayer was, God, just give me the courage to end this because I can't live like this anymore or give me some friends. I didn't ask to stop drinking. Mm. <laughs> I sure didn't. I didn't ask uh-huh. to stop drinking. Um, I had isolated for nine years while I was having all my children. I have four. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped all that, but I was still a miserable person because I didn't know how to communicate or live life on life's terms. I just didn't know how to do that. And that's... So then you started drinking again? I I did after my last child. I Uh started back and I would only do do the weekends. I'd only do at nighttime when they were in the bed. And then eventually it led me to, you know, Nine o'clock's way too early. I'll start at 10. That's where my thinking was. Oh, yeah. That I would start at 10 and I should be fine. But I wasn't fine. I Uh was so broken and lost and desperate. Just, just, it was a really, really dark place. It was like being in a, a dark hole with a cage on top. And I would try to crawl out. But just get keep getting knocked back down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a very dark, dark place to be. 
And that was a lot of controlled drinking that you were trying to do there. That's what it sounds like. You weren't drinking during the day. I wasn't in the beginning. But it progressed it, and progressed. Yes, until I was drinking at least two cases a day. Wow. Okay. Of beer. Of beer. Beer drinker. Yeah. Me too. Because, I mean, if you were drinking two cases of vodka a day, I was going to be like, (laughs) damn, girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. But but seriously, I mean, yeah, we could laugh at this shit today. But that's a lot. It is a whole lot. I was getting ready. I was very close to changing to liquor because there were so many cans and I was hiding cans from my husband and, (laughs) you know, taking them down to the store. What What was his thinking about your drinking? Oh, he was very dis- displeased and and did not like it at all. And, you know, I would try to cover up my breath with gum, and he'd come in and he'd Hiding be like, Can- yeah, candy, I know you've been drinking. I can smell it on your breath. I'm like, no, I'm, I haven't been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't yeah. work. My Hiding, partner and yeah. I were, like, getting drunk together and all that kind of stuff, or I'd, I'd start before we got home whatever. But, you know, we weren't hiding the bottles from each other or anything like that. We were hiding them from our neighbors and from the uh, the, the trash men. Right. Because, you know, we had one of those. It, it wasn't the big bins that we have here in Greensboro for recycling that right. had the lid on it and all that kind of stuff. It was the, like, the, the, the tote. That, that that was open, and it was full of nothing but vodka bottles. Nice. And so we were, like, <laughs> throwing them in the trash can so that they it didn't look like we had so many. I, I remember that. that. I hate that. <laughs> I remember that. God. I would feel bad when I dumped the uh, beer cans into the trash can and it go... In, and I would wonder, I hope the neighbors aren't paying attention because they go clatter, 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 <laughs> clank, 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 you know. And, and yes, they were I because it was 4 a.m. when you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, well, I guess I'll tell this story. I was, the art, the, we were going to a church and they started a recycling program, which at that time Greensboro didn't have a recycling program. Well, what it was was a wire dumpster that they had put in the parking lot for recycling and people Uh could come dump things in there so i said well this is a great idea so i collected everything over a period of um, a few weeks and took it over there in the back of my truck and dumped all of this stuff in there and i stopped and i wasn't finished and looked and i had half filled it up with beer cans they were all mine. Wow. Alone. And I threw the last one in there and got in that truck and got out of that parking lot quick before anyone could see who did that. <laughs> your, your soul needed saving, mister. That's great. Wow. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> so, let me guess, you didn't recycle any more beer cans, did you? No, I wasn't going to recycle them there. <laughs> you know. Did you go around? I went around to different places to buy beer at night because I like I went to a, a curb market near my house. Well, what started it was I went to the curb market and I got a 12-pack um, of beer. I went home and started doing a painting, and I was painting in the studio, and I, then I finished, ran out of beer. So I went back. And the same lady was behind the cash register. <laughs> judging I, you. I got another one. And she said, another one already? Ooh, she was judging you. She was judging me. And I said, what 
what difference does it make to you? And I was fuming mad. And ever since then, I would go to a different store every time I would buy. Spread that so, money around. But, and when I came in, I, I said, I don't hide my drinking because I thought it was, I don't know what I thought, but. Drinking in the closet is hiding your yeah, drinking. Yeah, drinking right? in the yeah. closet. But and somebody shared about that the very thing, going to different stores to buy, <laughs> and that that was hiding. I was going, oh, that's hiding. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't. I You're didn't busted. drink a lot. I only drank beer like when I went out to, to to a sports bar or something like that. At home, I drank vodka. I drank for the effect. I wanted it immediate. I I was I was medicating. The liquor store was two or three blocks away from the house. That's great. <laughs> and my liquor store man, Cliff, yeah, I knew his name. He loved me because if I came in there drunk, I bought him his favorite liquor too. Boom. Absolutely. I bought uh-huh. him a bottle whenever I was going, well, if I showed up drunk. So I didn't hide mine. No. <laughs> From the liquor man. From the liquor man. I hid it from the neighbors and from the trash men. And, right. Yeah, I, I did the same. I would go to the same store. I wasn't concerned about what they thought. I, My obsession overruled what he thought. Mm-hmm. I had to have it, and I had my kids in the car. So I thought that would probably be, it was right down the road. That was probably the best. There you go. So wh- when you went to your first experience going to AA had you heard of AA I I mean how did you choose to go to AA there's there's other options from my treatment from my treatment center oh you went that to I went center. I did go to a treatment center and that was the best thing that place saved my life mm-hmm. because they taught me that I had a disease it was alcoholism and that I could do something about it one day at a time and they suggested me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. As soon as I got out of that place, they told me that I needed to go to a meeting, find a sponsor, get a list of women's numbers, and start calling and praying, asking God to remove that obsession from me. And that's what I did because I was scared. When uh-huh. I left that treatment center, I was scared to death. I was leaving my cocoon. Right. And I went to a meeting that night, and I came in, and I like to back up a little bit. That prayer that I prayed, God, please get me some friends. Mm-hmm. He answered that prayer when I went into treatment center. I knew that. Absolutely. <laughs> I knew yeah. that there was uh, the was, friendship would come in the whole fellowship. Absolutely. Of it's more like a family to me. Alcoholics Anonymous has great loving people in it. And I'm just truly grateful for everyone even those that I don't, you know, <laughs> even those that maybe some are sicker than others. Yes, they might there say. are people. There in are my lessons to learn. I don't like, okay, right, right. There's so. lessons to learn from those. <laughs> well, uh, so you were suicidal. I was. I tried C- to commit in. suicide three or four times before that. It, it was news to me that alcohol itself is a depressant. When I quit drinking after, I remember a feeling of, I think it was about two weeks, this dark, like, blanket over me seemed to lift. And 
And someone told me that I I didn't go to a treatment center. And someone in one of the meetings was, well, you know alcohol is a depressant, and that's it getting out of your system. It's been two weeks, and it's lifting a little bit. Did you have an experience like that where you could tell something lift? Like, well, I guess really the question I wonder is, like, when did it lift for you? The obsession? The, or the, the feeling, the, feel, the emotional uh, well, place that you were when you're about to kill yourself. As, when when did hope kick in? Yeah. As soon as I walked through the treatment center, mm-hmm. as soon as I walked in, when I, you gave up, I was so scared of going in. This was my thinking, and how messed up my thinking was. Candy, this is it. Your life is over. No more fun for Candy because you cannot drink anymore. There's yes. going to be no more fun for you. And if you really think about it, you going in and out of hospital, getting IVs, throwing up, eating once a day, throwing it up, drinking and driving with kids in the car, the feeling of hopelessness, despair, that's a whole lot of fun. Good times. That's yeah. good times right there. No friends. But that's where my thinking was. Wow. And as soon as I walked in there, you know, I said I was scared to death. But as soon as I walked in, I had this peace come over me like, you're here, Candy. It was, I know it was God, my higher power God telling me, you're going to be okay. Here's your friends you asked for. You're going to be okay. Walk this path. Sweet. I love that. I mean, I got, I got chills when you said that. And and what was, was hitting me was, was that, you know, it really was, that was the surrender. That was the time when... You stopped fighting mm. and living that life that we were living, living what you just described is totally fighting. I mm. mean, it is, it, it, even though someone looking at it from the outside could not necessarily appreciate the, the work, the hard work it is to live that way, because it's hard as hell on you. Keeping up with lies. <laughs> yeah, that's really hard work. Because my whole life was a lie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, everything was a lie. Like, I like to give this example because it's a great example of my life and how it was a lie. You know, I used to be in the Navy. When I got out of the Navy, I told everybody that I was in there for three years because of guilt and shame. And I went on and on and on and kept on the whole you used to be there how long three years and then when I got into the program one of my fellow um, Alcoholics Anonymous members uh, worked at VA and he asked me if I was drawing anything I said no should I be he said absolutely if you were in there for three years well I went to to Winston-Salem to see about them pulling up my DD-214 and he came back smiling he said Candy you were only in there for 10 months Right? <laughs> right? And I had told that lie so much that I started believing it. You convinced it. yourself. Gosh, that sounds almost like a number of yellow jackets increasing. <laughs> <laughs> kind uh, of on the last stung. episode, Don was talking about getting stung by five yellow jackets, and then it turned out it was four yellow jackets, and this week it's what? I'm up to seven yellow jackets. It's seven man. now, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically a, my whole life was a lie. How I was feeling, people come up and say, "How you're doing?" I'm I'm good. 
But deep mm. down inside, I was not good. I was broken, torn, ripped to shreds. Things that happened in my past were just in my head, swimming around, drinking, and pushing those feelings down, drinking and pushing them down, and just drinking and pushing them down because I did not want to feel them. I. That's what I realized in the fifth step. When I started writing the fourth step, which is take an inventory of my past and people I've harmed and things I was ashamed of, when I did that, I started feeling terrible. And I was thinking, this is not a good idea because what I'm doing is stirring up mm. all the mud at the bottom of the lake and this is the stuff that I drank to keep down at the bottom of the lake. Right. Mm -hmm. And here I am dredging it up. But thank goodness I had a sponsor going, no, this is this is the path to get through it. But you're not going to stop here. We're going to keep moving. And the truth of the matter, that ball of anxiety that I was trying to figure out if I could get a handle on, then I'd be able to drink normally. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it was. It was all those things I'd done in the past that I was ashamed of. It was things that I had no control over that were done to me. And I was holding on to resentment and anger at it. And I couldn't have that, all that stuff. I got to keep it down. I got to keep it bottled up. That's exhausting. It is very. And that the work of doing that and going to that dark place of doing that fourth step work and dredging all that crap up, God help these people who start that and then go out. Right. I cannot imagine starting a fourth step, getting into a fourth step, and quitting. Well, I can imagine. I Well, I guess I, I can, can imagine, but I, because it's... I'm glad I didn't. Right. Because because it, if you do, you're not you're not going to get the relief. You're, exactly, you've dredged up all this shit. You're back now. to the it's same all solution. in your face and totally stirring around in your head because you ain't drinking yet. And yeah, so you start drinking, yeah. thinking that that is that is the solution that's always worked for that stuff. Yeah. Well, what was uh, one of the steps that something remarkable happened? I'd have to say step one. It was step one. Step one, I do believe that if you do not, if I didn't do step one completely, that there's no reason why to go on to the next steps. If I can't admit that I'm powerless over alcohol, that my life is unmanageable, I will drink again. And I think that when I walked into that treatment center and that feeling that I had, it was a spiritual experience that that's when I knew that I was going to be okay. And I asked for, I started doing this, found a sponsor and started doing the steps, all these things like you've mentioned, you know, the relief started coming. Mm -hmm. And I did, I did stop on my uh, four step. Did you? I did. I switched sponsors. How long I didn't know stopped? that I did that. I was like, oh, because I'm fine. Because of the four step. Yes, because of the oh, four step, yeah. not because of her. Mm hmm. And I figured out what I was doing, and I went to her and said, well, this is, I'm trying to get out of doing the fourth step. And then I really got, at that time, I think I had like a maybe a year of sobriety. I like to say this too, it's a little story. At that time when I switched sponsors, when I was doing that step, I was 
roommate with another AA, and I'd been isolating for two weeks. I started lying to my sponsor. I stopped going to meetings. I stopped praying. And all this happened within 30 minutes, what I'm getting ready to, to share with you guys. I was in the fuck it. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to go get me a case of beer. And I'm going to a dirt road. Only alcoholics, I believe, know about the dirt road. <laughs> anyway, that's what I said. I said. As soon as my boyfriend at the time comes in, because it was getting close to him, I said, I'm just going to leave when he gets in the shower because he always takes a shower. When he gets home, he's like, I'm just going to wait a little while to take a shower. And I was so fucking pissed because I had plans. I had plans. I'm, I'm gone. And I was so angry. And I'm sitting in my room just boiling with anger Next thing you know, my roommate comes in and says, Candy, I can tell you've been isolating for the past two weeks. I have some alcoholics coming over, and we're having intervention. And I'm like, what's what's going on? And then I get a text. Now, all this transpired in 30 minutes, and I'm not joking. Then I get a message from a girl that I met at Icky Paw in St. Louis, I believe. She says, we have a newcomer in Greensboro. I want to give her your number. Can she call you? And at this point, I'm about in tears. I'm saying, God, I get it. I got it. You do not want me to die today. Because... You got friends. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, that next day, I, you know, I stayed at home. I talked to this newcomer. And the next day, I hit my knees hard. And I prayed, you know, God, get me out of this, whatever's going on. And he did. He did. <laughs> Something as simple as making a list. That's what it was. Something so simple. So, because I had so much going on and I couldn't, it was in my head spinning around and I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I gave it to God, he told me to write a list. And it as was soon that as simple. you get it on paper, it's and not it was, rattling around in your head. That's right. That's right. So pen to paper is, even though I do hate writing, <laughs> let me repeat that. It's I not do easy. hate writing. It's not easy. It's not easy. But as soon as I did that, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. It's a big deal. So did you call your sponsor, your first sponsor back at that point? Is that when you had that realization or was it? I did. I called her and I said, I'm ready to start. And I did my fourth step. Uh, it was hard. It's I was very mentally mentally tired and physically tired from doing it but i pushed through it and did it and got all that shit out of me because there's no need to hold on to that stuff anymore no, no. I, i've forgiven myself for things that's happened in the past and i like to tell my sponsees that that person that i was back in the past the things that i did is not who i am today and it doesn't define who i am today that person back in the day was under control of a disease called alcoholism. You know, I would never do those things like drinking and driving or putting my kids in danger today. I, I wouldn't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's not who I am. I do not let the past defy me today. Right. Cause we, we change. Grow. Yeah, we grow. And Kay. everything that we've had, helps us to help other people all that stuff that that you have gone through all those things that 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 i've gone through that you've gone through don you know how many times have you drawn on that 
right? To help people get this or to help people stay sober. It's great. It's a great program. Yeah. I, I, so but many. You, you got to go through. You got to do the the work. Yes. Which is right. You right. Cannot. Those steps. Catherine says. I always like what she says. The woman I was drank. The woman I was will drink again. Yeah. She's saying I'm not going to be the woman I was, and I'm not. Which is what you were saying, Candy. You're you're not that person anymore. I am That's not. not. Which enables you to let go of that's how we're able to let go of the shame some of the most painful things in my past I'm really ashamed of and I really wish that I hadn't done it and even though I've been sober I mean that's not the person I am and that's and I'm not going to do that again but I still really regret and wish that it were the case that I could go back and and change that mm-hmm. But I am helped through that by working with other people. And when I come up with a, a new sponsee or I have listened to fifth steps at um, treatment centers and somebody is like just in incredible emotional pain sharing something that they've done in the past that they feel so much pain and shame over. And I can say, I did that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do that again. There's a path forward. You never have to be that person again. You can change. And that is like gold. Yes, it is. It's, yeah. it's like turning the worst things that happened to me, the worst things that I have did, and turning that into how I can help somebody else. All I'm going to say is I'm smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's freedom. It is. It's freedom from the past. Absolutely. Candy, you're all about service work, aren't you? Oh, yes, I am. (laughs) Are you a service nerd? I am a service nerd. Okay, Sam. I love to be a service nerd. That's my favorite (laughs) day of the week. (laughs) What's service nerds? It is where we go over the... The 12 concepts of Alcoholics Anonymous. We go over the service manual. We go over the traditions and long form. If nobody knows, there are long forms of traditions. And it's just so much knowledge in there that that I'm just so grateful that I've joined that study because I've learned so much. And I like to know about Alcoholics Anonymous, the history, how it came about, because it saved my life. And it's just very exciting being in that, that group. Service Nerds is a group. It's a meeting. Yeah, our district. So, so Candy holds a uh, position serving at the district level here. District 23 of Alcoholics Anonymous, Area 51. Yay! Cue the alien noises. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, what, what do you do at that service level? I am a District 23 LCM and a GSR for my home group, which is very great. Uh, I got to experience going to assembly for the first time in spring. It was amazing seeing how a group conscience, how it worked with Mm -hmm. Robert's rules. Minority gets to speak after being voted, and I've drugged my sponsee in with me. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm all pumped up and, and hopefully she'll get pumped because it's not only about getting sober, helping other alcoholics. It's also about service work and learning about how AA came about and what's going on. And I, how it continues to how, be. How it continues to be. And that's how it continues to be is how the service manual is and the how the assemblies structure. work mm-hmm. and you know, it's just not our voice, District 23. It's, it goes all around the world, and it's just a, it's amazing. And so Service Nerds is a meeting that is put on weekly by District 23. It's not a group. Right. And we can totally get in the weeds on meetings yes. versus groups if you want to. We have done that. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> So, but I, I love that uh, that you, Candy, that you're doing um, the LCM work, the local committee member work. You've got like about 15 home groups. I here do, I do. That you go out and attend their meetings and reach out to them and let them know that you are there to be their contact of what's going on in the district and and how can the district help and things like that. I mean, what's, what's your experience been going to them? Oh, it's been great. They've been really receptive. You know, I've went to a few now. I'm still getting the home group meeting list together. Uh, I just started. So I've been to a few, and they're really, my excitement is, it's, I maybe it's going off on them because it it's, is. it's it, promotion. It, that, works. it uh, yeah, that works. It's not what is it? It's attraction, attraction, not promotion. not promotion. And I'm all pumped up, and I yeah. think they see it. Yeah, I've went to groups, and I've had GSRs get excited, and that didn't have a GSR, and now they got one, and they're wanting to donate to the general service office and just get their home group started. You know, because I think it's important not only that we support our district, but also our area and our general service office, because if it's not for them, nobody, it's just, we need them. And also another thing that I've been going around telling everybody about service nerds is just a little bit, a nugget about what I didn't know was, you know, we have non-alcoholics that work for us, Mm -hmm. that truly love us and work for free in our, our general service office. And that's just truly amazing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. Now, we have paid ones, too. Absolutely. We got A and B. <laughs> a we, and B. We, 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 so, yeah, we do have level A trustees are also referred to as amateurs. Those are the ones. Get that are, out, amateur. Yeah. They're not the ones who They're, they're not, the ones who drink on uh, New Year's Eve. Exactly. They can totally get away with it. And so we have trustees at the uh, general service office uh, level. General Service Board, excuse me, that do this because they love us. And then we have the boozers, Class B trustees. (laughs) We outnumber the Class A trustees. Yeah. (laughs) The boozers do. Uh, And and so, yeah, it's a great mix that this is going on. And then we even have some non-alcoholics who work in the General Service office that are paid employees. So, yeah. It's great. It's cool stuff. Sam, what is the thing that you say about service work is? Direct service is one alcoholic working with another. Which is what we do in our home group and with a sponsor and sponsee. Exactly. And general service is all the stuff that makes direct service possible. Home groups having meetings. 
uh, districts having meeting schedules, the books being printed by AA World Services, all these other things that are going out there, websites and phone lines and, and the general service structure that allows for there to be communication from the groups to the general service conference and back and, and all of that. These things are general service that make it so one alcoholic can work with another. They're both service work, mm-hmm. and they're both essential. Absolutely. We really need both of them. Yes, we do. I'm alternate GSR for my home group. Well, and I didn't go. I might need your name. Okay. <laughs> and your home group. You might be on my list. I'll give it to you. Oh, I do know. But I didn't go. I was supposed to, The GSR called for the last meeting and said she couldn't go, and I couldn't go because I had just gotten stung by 14 bees. 14 now? Yeah. And I was, I was impossible. Well, yeah. I really, I was feeling bad from the bee sting, so I couldn't go. But I, I have been feeling guilty that I couldn't well, go to that. You if it he... helps, I know that she showed up. She did? Uh-huh. Yay. I feel, <laughs> see, I feel bad that she had to do it because she, being an alternate, I don't have to go every time. But I want to be available to her, you know, when she can't go. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, life happens. Yeah. Bees happen. They do. 27 of them. Yeah, 27 bees. I know. But I did notice, you might want to go back and strike that, because you said, I got stung. <laughs> I, I, that sting, not stings. You said sting. <laughs> stung. <laughs> sting, so sting, So now stung we really know. By 39 bees. <laughs> It was rough up here, folks. <laughs> it's been a long, it's been a long recovery. Candy, thanks for joining us. Don't go anywhere, okay? Because we have mail coming in via owl. Watch your head. It oh. comes. It's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? You, you old fart. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. <laughs> well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at the time. Don't you do it. Don't. don't. Sonny. Nope. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Oh, good. Ding, ding, ding. This question is from Elkhart in Midway. Elkhart says... I've been asked to tell my story for the first time. What makes a good speaker talk? Ooh, a good speaker talk. Mm. It's it's common to hear, and this is directly from the big book, share my experience, strength, and hope. I'll share what happened, what I was like, and what I'm like today. That's I think that's talking about the stories in the back of the book. Mm -hmm. That's where that's from. And people often quote it, but it also says that we need to share how we developed a relationship with God. And so I think that a good AA talk includes all four of those. When I first got sober, there were three guys in AA in my neighborhood, and they walked to a local meeting that was about, mm, on Sunday nights, there was a speaker meeting, and it was a block and a half away from where I live. <laughs> so it was, it was in the summertime. You know, I was like going, this is the end of my life. I've quit drinking. No more fun, Candy. I know about that. 
And I was sitting at the house. It was Sunday, and the, and my uh, sponsor had said, we're going to walk by and pick you up. We walked to this meeting every time. And I heard these laughter coming down the street. Looked out there, and they came up. They were smoking cigars, and, come on, Don, we're going to the meeting. <laughs> and they walked me over there. Well, this was became a tradition, and so... I've always been affected by going to that speaker meeting. And then after the meeting, we'd walk back and they'd all analyze the talk in a way and like talk about where they identified, mm-hmm. but also talk about things that, that, that didn't work in uh, the AA talk. So they had a thing called the 20 minute rule. You want to get sober about 20 minutes yeah. um, so that you have time to talk about working the steps and then what it's like in recovery. And you want to share how I developed a relationship with God in there as well. That's part of telling the story. So I think those are the things that are real. When I speak, I usually try. I want to wrap up in 20 minutes about my drinking. I want to identify Mm -hmm. because as long as I've been sober, I like to hear about people's drinking because it makes me remember what my drinking was like. So I'm not like worried about, you'll hear people say, I don't want to hear a drunk a log. They shouldn't even be talking about their drinking. I want to hear about recovery. I want to hear about the drinking for 20 minutes. (laughs) No more. Do you you hold up a sign at 20 minutes? (laughs) Get sober. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) I I watched. (laughs) There was a lady in the, the group where I got sober. She said that her sponsor... Because she loved to talk about psychology, and she would talk about her whole emotional journey, but she would neglect to talk about drinking. (laughs) And her sponsor said, if you share, the next time you share, if you're not talking about drinking within 15 minutes, then I'm going to come up there and take you off the stage. Boom. Did it happen? She said she was talking on stage and she was talking about her husband and about everything things that were going wrong and the lady started standing up and she was oh and then i started drinking (laughs) (laughs) and and i uh, my drink of choice was a certain wine and she she started talking about it so i don't know (laughs) this brought to mind but so i think it's important that we talk about our drinking because that's how we got here and that's what we were like. And then share our recovery beyond that. What about you, Candy? What do you think? Well, my first sponsor, I think the most important thing that when I get up and speak in front of people is honesty, being honest with everything, things that happened to me while I was drinking. I, I definitely talk about my feelings because that's one thing that I have noticed that I relate to when people share is their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely talk about drinking. I think it's very important about recovery. And in the beginning, when I first spoke, I was 10 months sober and I did have a long drunk log. Well, you do a at long the beginning. One. Absolutely. A- yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, that drunk log, it was in a treatment center and it was a lot of feelings going on. So I hope they could relate with that. Mm-hmm. I was standing there sober. So I think that was probably, if you can do it, I can too. Because I've been through some 
pretty horrific things while drinking. And today it's not like that. You know, I do stay drunk for 20 minutes and then I do get sober very quickly because this is why I'm here is because Alcoholics Anonymous. But I do believe honesty is the best thing. And I also pray before I speak. I've got to pray because I do not want my thinking in the way. I want God, my higher power, to speak through me and direct my thinking during that time because he knows who I'm going to reach out to, not me. He knows what I need to say to that one person or two people, not me. You don't know. I have no idea. So God's very important in the beginning before I, I speak. And, of course, I'm all nervous. I'm like, God, please help me. Just get this nervousness out of me. I know that these are my people. Yeah. It's going to be okay, Candy. And then my sponsor one time told me, you know, this isn't all about you. It's about that next sick and suffering alcoholic. I said, well, sometimes it is about me. <laughs> you know, because I like things being about me. So, But I always remember her saying that. Be honest. Pray. And it's not about you. It's about that that sick and suffering alcoholic. And it, they could have 10, 12 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. It, we don't have to get drunk to fall. We can fall emotionally and mentally and be down in there and just be and decorate it. Because I like to decorate it when I'm all down in the in that hole that I can go back in. But I do know that I can look up and the hands of Alcoholics Anonymous are always there reached out for me. And I do have a choice whether to stay down there and decorate it or I can reach for that hand that I've been told that I never, ever, ever have to do anything alone today, not unless I choose to. And today I I choose not to do that, trudge that path alone. That's great. It is great. (laughs) <laughs> it's real great I'm truly grateful To be sober And alive Yes You know the first time I told my story I uh, I went through uh, I, I crafted a timeline Because I had so <laughs> You look many, like you'd do that I'm a nerd, we know that um, I had so many holes in my history That I just needed to like Put something together To like just kind of have a cheat sheet. Now, I told my story looking at that thing, and it, and it went fine. And the second time I told my story, I did that too. I went. I had my, my, my timeline. The third time I told my story was at the meeting that Don was talking about walking to. And That's great. <laughs> I, remember, I, love, I love the name of that meeting. It's on Radiance Drive. It, it's a church that meets. It's a meeting that meets in the basement of the church that is at the intersection of West Radiance and East Radiance. <laughs> so I love it. It's a, the Radiance meeting. And for, for me, I always love that because it's like Radiance coming from the podium every time there someone shares That's their right. story. Well, I remember telling my story there and actually before that, talking with you at my home group at the time, and you suggesting that I don't use a script and that was the first time that I prayed before. I, I'm, I, I prayed before I told my story the other two times, but it was along the lines of if somebody needs to see somebody fall flat on their face and still stay sober, then <laughs> so be it. 
But that time I prayed for God to just use me to say what needs to be said. And it worked beautifully. It was not a big deal. And that's what I, I learned is exactly what you were saying. You know, that's it. It's not about my story. It's not about what I want to say. I love that thing about um, there are three <laughs> talks. The talk you plan to give, the one that you give, and the one you wish you gave. <laughs> All right. right. Um, but really, if I'm doing it right, it's the one that I give is the one that's supposed to be given. That's right. And, you know, I have forced a talk before. This was right before I started over when I was, when I, my, the quality of my sobriety, the quality of my uh, life was declining significantly. And I was asked to speak and I spoke, oh, good God, at a church pulpit type podium. <laughs> I've been there. I, <laughs> I hated that. But it was such a forced talk. It was a shitty talk. Hmm. Because because I was a sick person mm -hmm. trying to right. look good and impart my wisdom. Right. I had something to say. There wasn't a way to go. So, you know, it's totally that thing of what's a good talk? What's a good talk? It is prayerfully going into it and asking that, that my words be guided and then talking about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. What it was like that's the identification. That's the like, oh yeah, he is an alcoholic. I drank like that or I felt like that. What happened? I got sober. I stopped drinking. I started working the steps. I got a relationship with my higher power. What's it like now? Holy shit, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, and that's the, the kicker too, you know, someone with a short amount of time in, in recovery. Yes, their drunk log is going to be pretty damn big. Mm-hmm. But when you've got years or decades of, of recovery under your belt, holy shit, talk about your sobriety. Yes, qualify yourself. Absolutely. We got to do that. But talk about how amazing our lives are. Now, it doesn't mean it's all puppies and, and unicorns and rainbows and all that shit. Damn it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but our ability to live life is what happens. Mm. And the way my life has gotten so big in recovery, that's attraction. And by the way, if you want to know how to what a good speaker meeting is, go to a lot of speaker meetings. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a speaker meeting where I learned about hiding alcohol. <laughs> I, I didn't know that I hid it. I mean, I'd never consider it until someone shared it in a speaker meeting. I, I really like the idea of asking God for help to guide me before I speak for exactly the reasons y'all have described. Because, well, for one thing, it's given up control, mm -hmm. which this is all about me not driving everything and depending on my higher power. And then if I ask God for help, I don't need to edit it because I don't know what needs to be said. Like you said, Candy, you don't you don't know what someone needs to hear. Yeah. And someone might need to hear this mundane thing that ran through my head, but it might be exactly on it. And I've had the experience, how many times has somebody come up to you after you've shared something in a meeting and said, that meant so much to me when you what did when you shared. So what did I share? Yes. What was it? Right. It's like it didn't mean That's anything funny. to me. I don't. I never remember really what I. You know. So it, so if you ask God for help, then these synchronicities can fall into place where somebody needs to hear something and and they do. Yeah. 
And one more thing about speaker meetings that I went to so many speaker meetings when I started mm-hmm. um, because it was so important for me to hear the whole story. Yeah. You know, I totally, I got the mess. I was living the mess, but to hear how people got out of the mess and what their lives were like today, that was what I needed so much of when I first started in here. You know, one thing I learned from going to that speaker meeting on Sunday night over years and years and years, I think I was probably about five or six years sober when I gave up when I talk, talking about my parents and what they did to me and why I'm an alcoholic. Because I thought the reason that I'm an alcoholic had something to do with the way I was raised. And after hearing so many speakers who had lives with who were brought up in situations so much better than mine, and then hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who had parents and life stories that were so horrific compared to mine. The one thing in common with all of them was that they're alcoholics and chose to drink to escape their feelings. Mm-hmm. It has no play whatsoever what was done to, to yeah, me. Yeah, I agree with that because my childhood was horrific. And I, I'm sure to explain that in my story about the feelings that I had and the things that I were taught that I was taught. But I also say, I don't believe that's why I'm an alcoholic. I believe that my drinking started off earlier when I was 15. I had never had that line. They say people cross that line. When I started drinking, I drank. It was on. It was the line. The first time. Yes. I drank to get drunk. I drank for the effect. And I blacked out early, you know, at, at age 15. I never remember having a good time drinking. Never. Mm. So I think those feelings and things that happened to me in the past made it, made me drink quicker and harder, maybe. Mm. Well, that's what, that's how, mm. and that, of course, that's my opinion. But I feel yeah. like that's, it made me just struggle more with you know wanting to drink more and getting rid of those feelings it's a part of it but it's not the reason you're an alcoholic no it's not the reason you're an alcoholic is because of the way your body's made and absolutely the the reason i'm an alcoholic is because the way i process alcohol and i mean but i think that you know to the identification right there of the differences in our stories are why it's so important for us to go tell our stories because there are people who are going to more strongly, they're going to identify with a lot more of my experience than they are of candies. And so we both need to go out there and tell our stories. Right. It's important for, for people like us, people who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show up and let people know our stories. The most That's inc- part of the service. That is. The most incredible thing about speaker meetings is that you're hearing somebody's real life be transformed from a place of despair to a place of hope. And that, that's happened to everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous. On a Sunday night for an hour going to hear a speaker meeting, it's way better than television. 
Most yeah, of the time. I mean, there there's some shitty speaker meetings. Right. That, that's one. Th- <laughs> and there's some good television shows. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I love about Alcoholics Anonymous, seeing people come into the program, they're looking down, that are lost and feel broken, that when they stick around, you see their heads come up, their light is in their eyes, and they start to smile, and they start to laugh. You know, that's one thing. That's one of the reasons why I stuck around is because of you people smiling and laughing because I don't even remember a time where I generally laughed and smiled. And then when those of us who have stuck around who are smiling and laughing see the lights come on in the newcomer, see the lights come on in you, for instance, that is amazing. That's right. I love it. It's a yeah. great program. It's an experience you won't want to miss. Absolutely not. It's a consummation devoutly to be wished. What? I think you're quoting some song. <laughs> That's Hamlet. Yeah, music nerd. Okay, you Shakespeare nerd. Candy, nerd. thanks for joining us on The Boil Dow. It's <laughs> well, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. This yes, has been fantastic. It has been. It's been fun. Good. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Mr. Mewington. Oh Mr. my God. Mewington. I can't say the questions for Mr. Mewington. <laughs> <laughs> what street did you grow up on? Midway. Okay, that's where they're from. And what street did you grow up on? Elkhart. Oh my <laughs> God. From Elkhart and Midway. All right. Elk. Elkhart. Because we had Magnum. And this one's going to be Elkhart. <laughs>